Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, good evening. We are welcome to Masterclass Theology. I'm Big Rev. We are going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3. We finished 2 Peter tonight. And yeah, Peter just brings things home and he, he, he he's very personable tonight. You, you can tell he really cares about his flock as he writes to them. And I just, I just appreciate the, the, the opportunity to be able to study it tonight. Let's open with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for this text. We pray, O oh Lord, that uh, we would be challenged tonight, would be encouraged tonight, that we would ask some tough questions and be able to find our answers with you. And we just pray, O oh Lord, that your word would just, just communicate uh, your will to us and, and what you want us to learn tonight and, and how you want us to change and what you expect of us. And we just thank you for Peter. We thank you for this letter and this chapter we get to study tonight. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the way tonight's going to go, thinking, understanding, looking forward, making every effort, and on guard and growing. We start with thinking tonight. So chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. Dear friends, so right away, he's not coming at them from this lofty position. He's, come, he's coming to them like he's one of them. So this is right away from chapter 1. Peter was a servant and an apostle in that order. So he's very personable here. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. Well, obviously, we've already, we did 1 Peter beforehand. So this is now the second letter. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So thinking, that's our first section here. And the idea we have here is he gives us reminders and reminders that stimulate and there's something about our thoughts. Um, I, I know that uh, our, the sense of smell can stimulate. I, I, I remember I would go stay overnight at Grandma's house and I would, I would make sure to bring my own pillow with me. Because when I do that, I go back home and what does my pillow smell like? Grandma's house. And that was a great smell. And so that smell just stimulated thoughts in my head of, okay, this is a good thing. This is a comfortable thing. This is, this is a loving thing. I always wanted to be reminded of grandma's house. And reminders that stimulate. So this is not stimulating something that's unwholesome. We, can, we don't have to, to describe that. This is a, something stimulating something wholesome. So I have written both of these letters as reminders that stimulate you to wholesome thinking. There's something about training your brain to think a certain way. And in the counseling world, we kind of talk, we, 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 we understand that each of us has an inner narrative. The things we tell ourselves, we might call that self-talk. And those of you who are kind of like me, who tend to be more depressed, that self-talk is everything. And what you tell yourself just tends to just define reality, and that's not right, but it's just what happens. And the, he's telling his people here, 
that these two letters that he's written to them are meant to stimulate better thinking. Enough of the stinking thinking, and now here's some more wholesome or better thinking. Reminders to stimulate a wholesome thinking. To recall these, recall the words spoken in the past. And he kind of goes through the whole Bible here. So he's saying, he's saying here, so the second one, um, this whole idea of wholesome thinking. The wholesome, uh, in the Greek it means pure or unmixed or uncontaminated. So you know when something, you're cooking with something and, and, the, and things get mixed, you didn't mean them to get mixed, and now this is mixing with that, and like, well, darn it, now i got to start over, or i got to get that out of there or something. And our thoughts, it's like this wholesome thought pattern that he's expecting us to have is pure, but it's not mixed in with other things. What's a famous way that, that the world is mixed in with the Bible? Well, they, they, they take things like, you know, we are to love your neighbor as yourself. And we start off by saying, well, you've got to learn how to love yourself before you can love your neighbor. And that's not the point. We do far much loving of ourselves. We love ourselves far too much. And so unmixed, this idea that we're, we're, we're uncontaminated, that we're just taking God's word at face value. We're thinking about God's word. We're thinking, we're allowing God's word to affect our thoughts to affect our self-talk, what we're saying. An example might be, well, well, we'll get there in the, in the question in a second. Recall the Bible. So I like how he does this. Recall the words spoken in the past of the holy prophets, clearly the Old Testament, and now the command given by our Lord, so a reminder, and so at this point, almost all the Gospels were written, so we have the Gospels out there, and Mark's Gospel being an early one. So Peter would have, might have had access to Mark's Gospel. Recall the commands given by our Lord. So we have the Old Testament, we have the Gospels, and now the Apostles. And the Apostles wrote epistles. And the Apostles wrote the remainder of the New Testament. So what Peter is saying here is, recall the Bible. Psalm 119 says this. This is verses 9 to 16. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? That's actually a good question. Especially when I'm supposed to have pure, unmixed, uncontaminated thinking. Okay. And if you don't feel like you're a young person, throw yourself in there too. It still applies. By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. I love that I have hidden God's word in my heart. That's what we got to do. We have to take God's word and store it within us. To hide it there. You know, we hide things. Maybe some of us in our sin, we have little hidey holes in our heart that we think only we can go to. And we open up those closets and we stay there for a while. Like, well, this is my little pleasure zone. Or this is my, my bitterness zone. Or this is my anger zone. Or this is where I can feel sorry for myself zone. Or this is where I kind of marinate in the shame I'm going through zone. Instead, let's tuck God's word into our heart. And, don't, and I don't believe anybody who says, I can't memorize scripture. Because you turn the radio on, and they can tell you the lyrics of almost any song they want to tell you. 
Or maybe they're great fans of musicians and they know their entire discographies. They can tell you any song. We can memorize scripture. So what self-talk in you needs to be replaced by the Bible? What are you telling yourself that is stinking thinking? That you could tell yourself something from God's word instead? Maybe you're, maybe you're looking at your situation and saying, well, God doesn't have this. God does, God's not in control. God doesn't know what he's doing. And therefore, I have a right to feel anxious right now. And I have a right to feel... No, instead, tell yourself something like Psalm 46. Be still and know that he is God. That would be a great thing to say in your self-talk. To calm you down. What self-talk in you needs to be replaced by the Bible? So our thinking needs to change. Peter, right from the start, is going right at their thoughts. The things that are most inside of you. The things that you actually have a lot of control over. It takes a lot of discipline. But you can control your thoughts. It just takes some discipline. The New Testament, we're told to take captive selfish thoughts and submit them to Christ. We can change how we think. So therefore, that will affect how you feel. Our thinking kind of leads to our convictions. And it kind of stimulates our feelings. Well, I think this way. I, I, I'm really convinced of this, so therefore I'm going to feel this way. And then once we have our thoughts and our feelings, we then go act. Peter, right from the start, your thinking needs to be stimulated to be wholesome, pure, unmixed, uncontaminated. So what about our understanding? See, our thinking leads to understanding. You have all these thoughts. But they lead you to understand life and, and the world a certain way. What about the understanding? This is a big chunk, 3 to 10. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. What's a scoffer? Oh, I can't believe that you believe that. Or I can't believe you understand life that way. Oh, I just can't. I never. Scoffer. Scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. You just got to understand, at this time period, you know, they're, 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 what's next on God's calendar? They're expecting the second coming of Jesus. So where is this quote-unquote coming? He's not here yet, is he? Maybe he's not going to come. We thought he was going to come tomorrow. Well, it's tomorrow. He's not here. Well, maybe it's the next day and the next day. Where is this coming he spoke of? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation, they say. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being. And the earth was formed out of water and by water. Yet we got to remember that in the beginning, God created this formless, empty thing called earth. And it was, it was, it was kind of void. And it was chaotic. And the spirits hovered over these chaotic waters. Then what did God do? God created what we might say is a mess. So some of us feel like messes. Some of us feel like that life is hard and that we're just a mess. Well, guess what? God saw that mess and then God formed and God filled using his word. That's what God still does. He forms and fills. He changes. He guides using his word. That's why I do what I do. That's why we teach a class like this. Because we expect God's word to challenge us and to change us as we follow him.
By these waters also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Well, my goodness. But not, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not when, Who's the you? He's writing to his Christians. He's writing to the, the, the Christians in these churches. The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Wow. Well, scoffers are going to follow evil desires, aren't they? It sounds like Isaiah 5. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit. Deceit is lying. And wickedness, as with cart ropes. These people are just walking along and just pulling a cart with ropes. And it's just sin. To those who say, let God hurry. Let him hasten his work so we may see it. The plan of the Holy One of Israel. Let it approach. Let it come into view so we may know God's plan. Yeah, these scoffers. This God of ours, what, what's his plan? Let's see it. Enough already. That's what they're saying here. Where, when's the second coming going to be that he promised? It's not here yet. What's your problem? How can we still believe this guy, this Jesus? He resurrected and went to heaven, but we're still here. Why? Why hasn't he come back yet? And before we make fun of that, some of us might feel that way. We who long for his coming, we might be saying to God, what's your deal? I wish you'd come now. I'm tired of this world. I'm tired of what we have to deal with. I'm tired of the governments and the politicians and the sicknesses and the COVIDs. I'm tired of all this. Why won't you come now? Why not? So we might struggle with that. We've got to be careful. Scoffers following evil desires. Scoffers deliberately forget. They forget that God's been in control since Genesis 1.1. And that God operates on his own schedule. And so Peter went to Genesis 1-1, didn't he? In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, your thoughts about God. Not in the beginning, your feelings about God or your understanding about God. Not in the beginning, you. In the beginning, God. He had to remind them. They deliberately forget. They deliberately forget. That's right. They know better, but they're trying to uh, deceive others. These are false teachers trying to bring others with them. So they deliberately forget the goodness of God. But you don't forget. You don't forget, dear friends, that we can look at time and we can go, gosh, it's been 2,000 years. And, and so we have a unique perspective, by the way. We're 2,000 years 2,000 years after Peter. It's, it's funny Peter mentions 1,000 years because we're two of those after him. We are 2,000 years since Peter. And so our perspective can be like, wait a minute. Just imagine, I, I'm trying to imagine if Peter would have had us on his mind. Even 2,000 years later, they're going to be reading this letter I wrote and he hasn't come back yet. Man, I wonder but I also know the answer to that because what he tells his people, don't forget. God's not slow like you think of slowness. 
God's not fast either. God's timing is God's timing. It's not like God's all of a sudden stepping on the gas pedal and hitting the brakes. Because we understand that God is sovereign. And a sovereign God is not going to change because of a, a, a peon like me. God has decreed everything. Everything is according to his will and his plan. Ever since that Genesis 1-1. Before the creation of the world, we're told. So, we can't forget that. God's not slow. In fact, he's patient. God is patient with us for our sake. That day the Lord is going to come. He's going to come like a thief. Isaiah 34-4. And this is... Peter had something like this on his mind, talking about the heavens are disappear with a roar and the earth's going to be destroyed by fire. Here we go. All the stars in the sky will be dissolved and all the heavens rolled up like a scroll. Wow. Just take a piece of paper and start rolling it up. That's what the heavens are going to happen. We see some of that in the book of Revelation, some of the same terminology. All the starry host will fall like withered leaves from the vine. We're still raking up leaves in our yards like shriveled figs from the fig tree. I was cleaning out the refrigerator the other day. My wife enjoys lemons. She likes to cut up lemons and, and put them in her water. And she'll drink lemon water. And she missed a lemon. And it was tucked away in the door of the refrigerator behind, I don't like the ketchup or something. It had rolled back there and it looked like a mummified lemon. It was just... <laughs> So he's talking about a shriveled fig. That's the image that just came to my mind. This lemon that is, uh, it, it didn't even smell. It, it, was, it was beyond moldy. It was like uh, it came from uh, an Egyptian pyramid or something. I, my goodness, I just took it out. I even smelled the thing. Is this the reason this smells? What is, what is expired? Every once in a while you open the fridge and you smell something off. And you go look and watch the culprit. What, what did I forget about? And okay. The, some, some leftovers that I put aluminum foil over and they, they eventually got pushed all the way back and now, they're, and now a scientist would say, you reek, uh. And so, yeah, and, it didn't even smell. It just looked mummified. So I just got tossed it in the trash and said, okay, you're missing a lemon there, kid. But wow. So yeah, the, the, one day that's going to be the world and God's going to judge and, and, and we're glad that God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth because this old earth is going to pass away. And it's going to be really dramatic if we take that poetry beyond poetry. Wow. So scoffers are going to follow their evil desires. They're going to deliberately forget. But you don't forget. That day will indeed come. God is patient. And that patience with us leads us to repentance. God is a patient God. And that patience is for our benefit. God is patient with you. So what's going on within you? What do you need to repent from? What do you need to turn away from you and turn to God? Because God hasn't come back. Jesus has not come back yet. This is giving you an opportunity. God is patient with you. God is even patient with me. Even me. So what's going on within you? What are you forgetting that you shouldn't forget about God? What's really going on? 
What about your understanding needs to change regarding life, regarding God? See, Peter's addressed our thinking and Peter's addressed our understanding. Now looking forward, 11 to 13, since everything will be destroyed in this way, and that's kind of a cataclysmic, apocalyptic image that Isaiah gives us and the book of Revelation draws upon as well. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Woo! Mic drop. Peter leveled it right there. That was a bomb just exploding. What kind of people ought you to be? There was a book I remember on my dad's bookshelf that said, How Now Shall We Live? Or How Shall We Now Live? Or something like that. I think it was a Francis Schaeffer, Chuck Colson, one of those guys. They, they, both of them wrote a book, similar titles. How should you now live? What kind of people ought you to be? Because the end is coming. I remember my grandpa used to say, Hurry up, boy, hurry up, hurry up. Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. Get, get a move on. Well, guess what? The end times is coming. So you who are still here, we're still here, we're still living, we're still waiting, we're still wanting to honor God. What kind of people ought you to be? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Now, we don't speed God's coming as if God's waiting on us to do our part so we can finally do his part. No, but in God's sovereignty, he gets us excited about things, doesn't he? God allows us to participate in things. We're not the sovereign ones. But God brings us along as well. That we may pray. That we may worship. That we may participate in this wonderful ministry he's called us to. This is Ephesians 2. By grace you have been saved. You have been saved not by works. So that no one can boast. But then the very next verse talks about the very works that God has prepared in advance for you. You see... We're speeding, it's coming. It's, the idea there is we're participating in this. God allows us to be a part of this. You look forward to the day of God's speed. It's coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. Ouch. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Peter obviously had on his mind Isaiah 65. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Isaiah 66. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. Okay. That's a great promise. So looking forward, we receive one of the greatest questions. How ought you to be? You may never encounter a better question than that, Christian. What about you needs to change to be more like Jesus? Knowing that the King is coming, how ought you to be? That is a wonderful question. One of the greatest. We are to be holy and godly and looking forward into anticipation. There's something about that. We have anticipation for God. We, 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 were, we are waiting for him to come. And we, we pray when he comes, he finds us faithful. Doing the work he's called us to do. What a great image. What a great image. I remember every time I was on the assembly line. I used to work in an auto parts factory. And, and, and we used to have this joke that 
the foreman who walked around this clipboard, and we, we figured he only walked around the clipboard. That seemed to all be all he did. But I, I try not to be judgmental. Pardon me. But he'd walk around this clipboard, and every time we had something where we were goofing off or we had finished early and, and we took a moment to kind of you know rest a little bit, that's when he shows up. Well, what's going on, gentlemen? Oh, gosh, we're not working hard when he shows up. We seem to be hardly working when he shows up. And we have to then justify things. Well, we just fi finished this box and we finished that part and, and we're just kind of taking a break. Oh, you're taking a break, are you? Am I paying you to take a break? Okay, there you go. It's, we, we always hoped that he would, the foreman would catch us really busy and in the weeds and really, you know, cranking things out and really doing what we should be doing. And like, oh, so we can come by and, and then he wouldn't want to talk to us because he wouldn't want to interrupt us from doing what we're supposed to do. And that would have been a great moment. We kind of have the same thought about Jesus. When he comes back, I hope I'm not doing something I shouldn't be doing. I hope I'm living the right way, holy and godly, and anticipating his coming. It'd be great things. Looking forward to the day of God, speeding his coming. And that day is going to be scary, it looks like. My goodness, verse, the end of verse 12. Um, but verse 13, it keeps to the promise. We're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. And so... Christians who say, I can't wait to go to heaven one day, they may not be accurate. We may be getting a new heaven and a new earth. It, we get the idea in Revelation 20 of heaven coming down and the holy city of Jerusalem like a bride. God's making all things new, he says. So, oh, I can't wait to go to heaven. Well, I think heaven's going to come down. and I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Because, again, we're dealing with poetry and prophecy of Revelation. It's hard to explain entirely. That we don't even know if John completely understood it because he was caught up in a vision. But still, there's going to be something new. The old is going to pass away and behold something new. Something to look forward to. So now what changes in you? What ought to be different? If the question is, how ought you to now be? What about you needs to stop? What about you needs to start? Those are two great, easy questions to ask. There's something about you that you need to knock off that needs to be done because it's not communicating that you are being holy or godly or anticipating Christ's return. Maybe you're a grumbler with God. Maybe you secretly doubt that God really is going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish or whatever, what he is, what he is proclaimed to accomplish. I don't know what that is, but there's something about you that's stirring within you right now. You're going, oh, yeah, there's that. And then there's that. What about you needs to stop? What about you needs to start? What changes in you? So Peter addresses the thinking, and Peter addresses their understanding, and Peter reminds them to keep looking forward. And now make every effort. Making every effort, 14 to 16. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Wow. I mean, even if you have to be a lamenter, even if you have to read, let's say, a Psalm 13, where King David spends the first, there's only six verses in it, and if my memory serves me correctly, the first four verses are David being like a Karen and just going at God with lament after lament and after lament. And then verse 5, but I trust in you. I still trust in you. I still praise your holy name. 
It's like it, he, it, David spends all these verses just, just lamenting to God and taking his issues to God. And, Are you going to forget me, God? How long am I going to wrestle with these thoughts of mine? All these things. He's lamenting and lamenting and lamenting. And then he lands the plane with praise and trust. He trusts God. But that's the idea here, making every effort. What you can't control, trust God. The things in your life you have no control over, and there are many. In fact, most of your life you have no control over. There's all kinds of things outside of you you have zero control over. How people treat you, what they say to you, what they say about you, what your boss does, what your, your work. So much about you you cannot control. Rather than investing in those moments and increasing your anxiety and losing more sleep, those are moments to trust God. The things you can control, and those are largely things like your words. We've already talked about your thoughts. You can control your thoughts. It's di it takes discipline, but you can do it. And by your thoughts, you can control your emotions, your feelings, and leading to desires. Yes, what you can control, honor God and obey God. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, verse 14, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear Paul, also, brother Paul, also wrote with you, wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in terms of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Well, okay. Thanks, Peter. Paul is... Paul just... Yeah. Paul. You read the book of Romans, and there's a lot about the book of Romans. You're going, oh my gosh. What do I do with this? What do I do with that? i got to really study, study, study. And, you know, don't sell yourself short there, Brother Peter, because you, you, your first Peter is, is, has its own complexities to it. But I like that Peter's talking about Paul. And Paul in Galatians talks about Peter had to confront him. But he also said that he was doing good work with, in, in the ministry he was involved in, the lane he was traveling in. So they kind of talked about each other. I like that. So he is giving his readers an, a, a, a heads up here. Hey, this Paul guy, who at this time is, has been and is writing the books of the New Testament, many of them, pay attention to this guy. He's our dear brother. And he's saying many of these same things. I know that because we get a, um, a Romans chapter 2, verse 4. I'll just use this one only. It says this, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience? Paul uses big words like that. Peter doesn't use all those big words half the time, but Paul does. Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Okay, so Peter put it like God's patience is leading you to, to repentance. Paul is putting it as that patience is kindness leading you to repent, repentance. There's something about that, that how God does history is leading you to repentance. So Peter's on to something here. He writes the same way. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. Yes, and that still happens today. People who don't know the Bible, who know just enough about the Bible to distort the Bible, who are largely ignorant of what God's Word says, as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. So make every effort. What you can't control, trust God. What you can control, honor and obey God. And stability. That's the idea he's got here. 
is it, ignorant and unstable people twist scripture. So don't be like that. Be a stable person when it comes to God's word. Learning about God's word like you're doing in a class like this right now. Taking God's word at face value. It's okay, this is poetry. I'm going to understand this in terms of poetry. Or this is history. I'm going to understand this. This is a gospel. Just taking God's word in context and understanding it in a very general way as the Bible wants you to understand it. Not trying to take verses out of context and try to flip things around to make, you know. Otherwise, heresy, there's an old quote about heresy. And heresy always starts as somebody is doing something they know is wrong. So then, rather than changing and repenting and turning back to God, they justify. They know they're doing something that is wrong or that is evil or that is outside of what God expects of us. And then they just they, 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 start, they, have, they start to build a foundation underneath it. And they may take scriptures a twist and turn and kind of put some mortar on them and make little fake bricks out of those scriptures and build up a little edifice that justifies the bad things they're doing. And that's a heresy. And then all of a sudden we have a brand new way of thinking about God's word. This kind of stuff pops up all the time. Like God really wants you to have the best possible life and God really cares about the kind of bank account you have and how wealthy you are means how godly you are. Some of that nonsense. The, the prosperity gospel is just full of that nonsense. What do we do? Make every effort. So what describes the usual focus of your efforts? I know me and my weight loss journey, I have to make every effort. I have to stay intentional about everything that goes into my body. Documenting it and what kind of food is it? What kind of calorie is it? What kind of macronutrient is it? I'm very, very intentional about that. And as long as I stay intentional, I most likely will continue losing weight. It's the moment where I say, oh, I've got this, that all of a sudden the accordion starts happening and I start finding the pounds I lost. That's the thing. What what about you consumes your efforts? Maybe it's your legacy. Maybe you're trying to find companionship in life. You're trying to find an attaboy or an girl. Maybe you're trying to, the opinions of others matter so much to you. Maybe you're trying to leave behind money for people and you want to be known as the, I don't know what it is. What describes the usual, what do you make every effort towards? That's something that you ought to know about yourself. And it should jump out at you like, well, I spend most of my time, most of my thoughts, most of my understanding. I dream about this most of all. I wish I was this. Because if I was this, it's an old counseling thing. I do what I do because I want what I want. What do you want? I want this. And so I'm going to make every effort to make this happen, even in my own mind. It's like that song, I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. He's probably not coming home for Christmas. It's a pretty sad song. What's in your dreams? What are you making effort to accomplish? How does it fly with this chapter? I'm just saying, I'm not meaning to be a jerk. I'm just I'm saying, what is it? If I'm trying to lose weight to get an attaboy, I'm misguided. If it's for you know a, a different reason, it could be different, but I've got to be careful about what I, my, I make every effort for, towards. So Peter addresses the thinking, he addresses our understanding, also looking forward, making every effort, now on guard and growing. Verses 17 to 18. 
Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, he just got done saying, I've warned you now. Since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. A couple sessions ago, I talked about the creepy verse. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. This is Luke 22. But now here's the key verse now. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. That's strengthen. The root of that Greek verb is the same root here. It's the idea of being secure. So he's telling Peter, hey, when you come back, strengthen your brothers. Help them to feel more secure in their faith. Your influence over them needs to lead to their, uh, there's some, something about a security there. So here we have, you're being carried away by these lawless things that are happening from these false teachers. And it's going to cause you to feel less secure. What would be an example of that? Well, let me go back to the first couple verses. Well, maybe he's not coming back. Maybe this all was a big ruse because he's not back yet. I could see a modern Christian saying that 2,000 years later. How many thousands of years does it have to be, Jesus? How many more things do we have to endure before you finally come back? Maybe this isn't true. And if I can discount that promise or I can justify it in my head, I can go to other promises, Jesus, I guess. If I'm going to play that game, I'll just keep playing that game. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling less secure about my faith. I'm feeling less secure about my forgiveness. Because of now I can discount this idea of he's going to come back. Maybe I can discount the first John 1 John 1.9 that he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me. You see how far you can go with this? When you start, you know, t- it's like God's word is like a stool. You're like taking out stool legs and eventually it's, it's going to fall over. If that's the game you're going to play, that's what he's warning us against. Don't buy into this, these, these lawless and evil false teachers, these scoffers. Because all they want to do is see you pulled away. They want you and your self-talk to doubt. They want you to turn against this very God and turn to them. They want you to follow along with them. So what's it going to be? I don't see this as losing your salvation. Because remember in chapter... In, 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 in the first book, in 1 Peter, he reminded these very people, you are firm and steadfast and secure. But on the inside, we're at war. And we begin to question. And we begin to doubt. We begin to believe what the enemy says. Strengthen your brothers, Peter. This is Peter strengthening the brothers. The very verb Jesus used with him, he took that and put it a form of that in this verse here. To fall from your secure position. Peter is existing in Second Peter to help us with our security. That attitude that we can trust God. This very God who is sovereign, who is in complete control, and who is patient with us. I love that. I love that. It means Peter listened. Peter paid attention not carried away by error, growing, not simply increasing or adding. Yes, grow in the grace and knowledge. 
There's so many people that just add knowledge to their life. Oh, I've, I've learned about this. I'm going to learn about this now. I'm going to learn about this one over here. Maybe this one over here. I'll learn about this subject. And they're never lost in any conversation. But they learn all these things. That is not growing. That is just adding. That There's no growth there. You're just, you're just accumulating things. How many times do you have to spring clean your place? Because you've accumulated too many things. You can accumulate things. We first moved into a church parsonage. My wife and I, you know, almost 15 years ago. Big four-bedroom place. It was right here uh, at, at, at this location. And we, we were like, wow, this is such a generous place to live. We get to live here. Wow. We saw all those empty rooms. And we looked at ourselves and we said, we'll never be able to fill these rooms. <laughs> well, you know how that story ends. The next thing we know, we have no room for anything. We filled those rooms mightily. We kept accumulating. We kept accumulating. And then we started having children. That's just children in that regard. They're like accumulating multipliers. Because everyone gives us gifts and we have furniture. All these things is boom, 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 boom. Yes! And you can't throw it away because what if you have another kid someday? You can't. Like they're not going to get presents. It's like we can throw stuff away, can't we? Well, accumulating doesn't mean you're growing. I mean, you're expanding, I guess, but you grow in the grace. And there's something about this knowledge that needs to lead to growth. There's, some, there's a reason why we study God's word, that God, God would challenge us and, yes, encourage us. But it's the doctrine of progressive sanctification. The Holy Spirit, using his word, is making me less like me and more like Jesus. Not carried away by error. Growing and not simply increasing or adding. Matthew 26. I love this. Now Peter. This is Peter's probably his worst moment. Can we end with Peter's worst moment? Let's end with Peter's worst moment. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. And a servant girl came to him. You also are with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway. So he got the heck out of Dodge. He moved along. Where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, Hey, this fellow right here was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, while those standing there went up to Peter and said, Yeah, right. Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. You're part of Jesus' crew. We know where you're from. We can hear how you speak, sir. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them. I'm not going to swear to you. He swore to them. I don't know the man. Why do I bring that up? Make every effort. Grow in the grace and knowledge. It's as if Peter is saying, I once said I don't know him, but I know him. And I'm going to grow in knowing Jesus. Not knowing about Jesus. Not knowing about the religion surrounding Jesus, but knowing Jesus. I know him. If you're going to grow in anything as you study God's word, grow in knowing Jesus. Even if you have to look at the Gospels and say, will the real Jesus please stand up? Knowing 
Jesus. Grow in that. Peter's worst moment is his final command. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Peter closes with a doxology. Amen and amen. This has been Masterclass Theology from 2 Peter chapter 3. God bless. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.